Welcome to the Life of Christ, Series 2. This is Term 3 and Lesson 27. We are going to begin in the section entitled, Jesus' First Cleansing of the Temple. Remember again, this is following the miracle of turning water into wine. These are all the firsts in Jesus' life at the moment that we're going through. All right, And so, following the account of that amazing miracle, we'll begin here in John chapter 2 and verse 12. It says, after this, he left, that's the higher ground of Nazareth, and went down to Capernaum. He, his mother Mary, his brothers, that's James and Joseph and Jude and Simon. Now, I've given you a reference there to where you find the names of his brothers, down the bottom in your footnotes. And it goes on to say, and his disciples, which were Andrew, John, Peter, Philip, Nathaniel, and perhaps James. And it says, and they did not stay there many days. Alright, so John MacArthur says that John placed this verse here as a transition to explain Jesus' movement from Cana to Galilee to Capernaum and eventual arrival at Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. Added to this, Arkent Hughes so marvelously describes the trip by saying, Capernaum was about 20 miles from Cana, so it was not much of a journey to get there. It was probably a very delightful journey since it was then spring in Palestine. As they approached Capernaum, they saw low rising hills, the deep blue sea of Galilee, the finally beautiful Capernaum situated on the shore, sprawling back into the hills and framed from behind by the snow-capped majesty of Mount Hermon. It was an idyllic time for our Lord, his brothers, his mother, and his newfound disciples, especially in light of the excitement and freshness of the miracle of turning water into wine. Capernaum itself was a place of some importance. First, it was a place where Jesus would encounter the Roman centurion with great faith. Second, it was there where Jesus recruited Matthew, the tax collector. Remember his name was Levi? Dude was ripping people off still? He's still doing that now, okay? So, (laughs) he hasn't been called yet, okay? (laughs) So further to this, it was also where John and James, the sons of Zebedee and Salome, lived. And why Jesus stopped and stayed there briefly, at the invitation of the brothers, I'm sure, before going on to Jerusalem. Now, continuing on to John chapter 2 and verse 13, here we have the introduction to the passage of Scripture that deals with the first cleansing of the temple with one biblical scholar saying that there are, in fact, two cleansings in the Gospel accounts, appropriately framing the beginning and the ending of Jesus' redemptive ministry. Just so you understand that, Jesus actually clears the temple out twice. He cleanses the temple twice. Alright? It's very sad He had to do it twice. The first should have been all that was necessary. But I think they included that second cleansing as well to show us that nothing had changed from the beginning of his ministry to the end of his ministry. Can I say this to you? There are some people that you'll minister to, that you will share the gospel with, and that you will hope that they will change. And you know what? They'll stay the same throughout their life, regardless of what you're trying to do and share, and however you are trying to encourage them. Some people are just that way. Alright, of course there are others, remember Matthew, okay, also called Levi, you know, who was a tax collector and I'm sure wasn't the most honest of people and turned out to be a gospel writer. 
Amen? We must never stop trying, but we must never be discouraged and stop ministering just because there are people that we're ministering to that are not responding to our ministry. Do you hear me? Amen? And always remember this as well, that this isn't just you, it is God as well. And you are not on your own. Amen? And so, you know, if you are doing your part, you know that God is doing His part. And if there's no change, it means that they are refusing, rejecting, whatever the case is, God's leading and guidance and whatever you're saying through the Holy Spirit. So we can't ever sort of look back and say, what's wrong with us? We should have done this, we should have done that. Uh, Just realize that God would have made up the differences. Amen? And, you know, for all the times, I'm, I'm sure, in fact, I won't say for all the times, but for the times that things don't work out, there are times when they do. And it's awesome when they do. Amen? So just never quit because you don't know what's around the corner. Amen. Okay. So, continuing on to John chapter 2 and verse 13. Here we have the introduction to the passage of Scripture that deals with the first cleansing of the temple. Alright? So John chapter 2 and verse 13. It says, Now the pastor of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now the reason why it says he went up to Jerusalem is because he actually ascended from about 680 feet all the way up to 2,500 feet. That is where the holy city is. That's the altitude. So there's a fair bit of climbing involved there. Okay, Arkent Hughes says that there was a, a spirit of expectancy across the land. Probably very much like what we experienced during the Christmas season. The Jewish tradition required an entire month for preparation. The roads were repaired, the bridges rebuilt or shored up, the sepulchres rewhitened. The entire land bustled with the spirit of Passover. And the city at this time would have had as many as two and a quarter million people crowded into its confines. So, I want you to begin to get the picture now. Because (laughs) what Jesus is about to do, you need to understand what's going on around in order to understand the awkwardness that's going to come very soon. Okay, so, this is like our Christmas. Alright? And it's almost like you're going to a, a very big traditional church. Everybody goes there. All your relatives are going to go there. It's that time of the year, it's Christmas, okay? That, that's Passover for them, okay? And so everybody's cheerful. Are you getting the picture? Everybody's wishing a happy Passover or a happy Christmas, whatever, okay? Alright, so that's the spirit. Because when Jesus starts to do His thing, you need to understand what the disciples are feeling right about then. We read this a lot of times and miss this. So I have included all of this information to give you the feeling of the season and the disciples and all the people that were there. Okay. As to what the Passover was, John MacArthur explained that Passover commemorates the deliverance of the Jews from slavery in Egypt when the angel of death passed over Jewish homes in Egypt whose doorposts were sprinkled with blood. Did you all get that? Okay, that's why it's called Passover. This was the event of the year. And every male Jew from the age of 12 and up was expected to attend. That's why Luke included the story of Jesus attending the Passover at age 12. Luke 2.42, where it says, And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. All right, And where he would have finally been able to be about his father's business. Remember again all that happened. 
So now at Passover on the 10th or so of March, a young male lamb, about one year old, without blemish, was chosen. And on the 14th, it was sacrificed. All right, So four days later. Now following the sacrifice, an elaborate evening celebration would follow, which included a prayer of thanksgiving, the drinking of the first cup of wine by the head of the house, the eating of bitter herbs as a reminder of their bitter Egyptian slavery. The narrated or read son's inquiry, why is this night different from all other nights? And the father's explanation of the angel of death passing over the Israelites' homes, that's Passover, to slay the Egyptians' firstborn. The singing of Psalms 113 and 114, the eating of the lamb with unleavened bread, and the singing of Psalms 115 through 118 to conclude. So this is all the celebration. Also, since unleavened bread was eaten at the conclusion of the celebration, the seven-day feast of unleavened bread immediately followed. And since the two were so close together, the term Passover began to be used to cover them both. Okay, that's the reason why it says in Luke 22.1, I've given it there to you. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover. That's why they join it together. I'm sure you needed to know all of that. Anyway, I want to share this with you so you just know. I'm not going to preach on any of this, okay? I think the information is enough. Is that okay? I don't want you all to get Jewish on me. All right. <laughs> okay. And it was during this time that Jesus entered the gates of the crowded city of Jerusalem. And beyond that, the cream and gold of the great temple in the city. With John chapter 2 and verse 14 going on to say, And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. To explain what was going on, John MacArthur writes, During the celebration of Passover, worshippers came from all over Israel and the Roman Empire to Jerusalem. Because many travel large distances, it was inconvenient to bring their sacrificial animals with them. And as to the money changes, they were needed because the temple tax paid annually by every conscientious Jew, male 20 years of age and older, had to be in Jewish or Tyrian coinage. Okay? Those coming from foreign lands would need to exchange their money into the proper coinage for the tax. Because there's no point, I mean, if they were getting tax from all over the place, what would they do with it? They can't go and use it to buy food where they are. Do you understand? So that's the reason why it was needed. So in other words, these merchants are providing a necessary service to these believers. However, the way they did it brought great dishonor to God and His holy temple. And that's what Jesus was so against. Let me stop here for a minute now. There are a lot of things that you can do that are biblical, that are right, but done wrong. Because of your attitude, and because of what's behind, your motivations behind what you're doing. Okay? So just because something is necessarily biblical, doesn't mean it's still right. It needs to be done with the right heart and motivation, in obedience to God, for it to be actually correct, righteous. Okay? R. Kent Hughes writes, The money changers claimed their business was a necessity, changing foreign currency into Jewish currency because foreign money was not acceptable for offerings in the temple. But what was so wrong was that often a man would have to pay an entire day's wage just to change his money. <laughs> Needless to say, this brought about a lot of money into the temple and of course the high priest that ran it all. So the high priest is getting rich off of these people. Okay. 
Furthermore, it was the sellers and inspectors in the temple that sold the sacrifices. And so, if they did not approve an animal that the person brought themselves, it would not be approved. Extortion, therefore, was common in the temple confines to make things worse. And as the high priest was behind the whole thing. It was common knowledge that the high priest actually sold franchises for money changing boots and animal sales. Can you believe this? Okay, so are you getting the picture now? Alright. Did you understand the bit about extortion? Did you understand that the guys that would sell the sacrifices were also the ones that would approve whether or not the thing you bought was okay or not? So you could bring something that was okay, that God said, yeah, that's fine. And the guy goes, no, 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 there's a problem here. Yeah, that's not, that's not acceptable to God. And so it's like, no, no, you have to buy one of mine. Yours look worse than mine. No. <laughs> okay. But you'd have to buy there. So you can, you, can you see how this would take an act of worship and turn it into something that you have to repent over? So you are coming to the temple. You have pulled out your best little lamb. I mean, as far as you're concerned, it is perfect. You kept it aside. You made sure that was God's. You bring it into the temple. The inspector comes and says, uh, 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 Excuse me, let me have a look at that first. Not, not, not acceptable. How does that make you feel? What do you think you're going to start doing now? Instead of having a glory, hallelujah... You're having all those characters on your keyboard that's not letters or numbers hanging over your head. You know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> okay? You know, that's how they write swear words out. You know, they put stars and exclamation marks. And, okay, all of that is going on now. Because some man down here has said, no, it's not acceptable. And so your heart of worship now turns to a heart of anger and strife. Can you see how these people were doing the devil's work? In God's house. Did you get that? That's still happening today. And we need to be careful. People are going with the right heart. And the, the ministry and the thing that's going on. They, they, you know, they go to church believing that well, that's the place God is. Depends who's there as well. Because there could be a people there that do the wrong thing, push the wrong things off of on you, tell you things that upset you, and your whole heart to worship God just flies out the window. And now, instead of coming in and being able to worship God, and do the thing that you came there to do, now you're finding that you're having to repent, and come against thoughts and everything else, and your mind is no longer on God. Let's not ever do that, and be a part of that. Amen? In any way or form. Don't insist on your own way for everything. And don't insist that you know everything. Allow some graces. Okay. People say stuff. Don't correct them all the time. Just let it go. If the Lord tells you to do something about it, then do something about it. But the Lord isn't always telling you to do something about things. Okay. If He's always telling you, I'll check on that. That ain't the Lord anymore. Let's, let's just leave it there and move on. Okay. All right. So, in addition to the dishonest and unholy practices carried on in the temple itself, was the place it was carried out in, namely the court of the Gentiles, which was the actual place where the Gentiles came to worship God. 
Now, that's terrible. So the Jews won't ever do anything in their place of worship. But oh, it doesn't matter. The Gentiles are coming here to worship God. We can have cows doing their business on the floor and sheep and whatever. I mean, can you worship in that? It's a miracle of God that any Gentiles got saved. Coming to those kind of conditions, treated like second class citizens. This is why it was such a shock. And see, the Jews were so proud of who they were. And all their privileges. And why Jesus kept cutting across their grain constantly. For God so loved the world. Wait, not the Jews? Yeah, the whole world. That whoever believes will have eternal life. The Jews are waiting to say, Oh, God loved the whole world that He gave His only begotten Jewish Son. So that any Jew that believes, (laughs) that is not in the Scriptures. Amen. And this is what just ran against their grain. And in fact, Jesus at one point in time, when the disciples and He are leaving the temple, and He's going to turn around, and the the disciples are going to do what a lot of people do today. They're going to look at the temple and marvel at it and go, Wow, what an amazing building and what an amazing whatever. Fill in the blanks, okay? People are very impressed by big things. And Jesus is going to turn around and say to them, take a good look at it, because in a very short while, not one stone is going to stand upon another. And 70 years from that date, a Roman general, I think by the name of Titus, is going to come because of what the Jews did to reject their Lord. And because God takes His hand off of them, this Roman general is going to come in and slaughter them. And he's going to burn the temple to the ground because the temple was overlaid with gold. And the gold started melting. They pulled it apart brick by brick to get all the gold. Interesting, isn't it? You'd be thinking, why would they pull it down brick by brick? There you go. Because they wanted the gold. They didn't want to leave anything behind that the Jews could use to recover. Hear me. Buildings are buildings. And if they, they profess to be worshipping God, if it's a religious organization, then God's hand is not on that thing. And it's only a matter of time before it collapses. Amen? Now I'm into buildings and stuff, and we're going to have our own. I'll, I'm prophesying that, I'm telling you as a truth, okay? That's not an issue. I'm just saying be careful of the things that we look at and admire and reverence. We should only be looking at God and reverencing Him and the people that worship Him in spirit and in truth. Amen? Not in religious services. Okay, moving on. (laughs) William Hendrickson, in his commentary, says that it is true in the abstract that each worshiper was allowed to bring to the temple an animal of his own selection. In the abstract, okay? But let him try it. (laughs) I like the exclamation mark there. In all likelihood, it would not be approved by the judges. The privileged vendors who filled the money chests of Annas, that's the high priest. Hence, to save the trouble and disappointment, animals for sacrifices were bought right there in the outer court, which was called the court of the Gentiles, because they were permitted to enter it. And of course, as we've already seen, they would exploit the worshippers. Therefore, as much as the services provided were necessary, the place and the manner in which they were carried out was totally unacceptable. And it's more likely that Jesus had been exposed to this outrage. Now I want you to get a picture of what's going on. This isn't the first time Jesus has come into the temple. Remember that He came to the temple at what age? 12 years old. 
And so he's now how old? 30 years old. 28, 29, 30, let's say 30 for ease of numbers. 30 minus 12 is what? It's 18. Okay. All right. <laughs> for 18 years, he has been coming into the temple and watching his mom and dad get ripped off. Is this becoming real to you now? And he would have to have seen that, knowing who he was. They came to the temple to worship God. This was Emmanuel, God in the flesh. Coming and seeing his stepdad, let's call him his adopted daddy, okay? Because his real father is God, okay? His adopted dad and his mom getting ripped off every year and going home upset and grumbling. Which they probably would have been. They'd go, wow, look at that. It's gone up again. We can't take our own animals in. Can we just have a, just let's have a, just a general conversation. So they're going and I wonder how much Annas is going to put up the fees this time. You know, last year it was a rip-off to buy one lamb. They know every time they go up there, it's just highway robbery. You couldn't go to Payless and get a lamb. You know what I'm trying to say? You know, you have to buy David Jones lambs, you know. <laughs> but you know what I'm trying to say? You know, I mean, every lamb they saw was like, oh yeah, no, no, you know, that, that's how much it is. And so they'd have to cough up all their hard-earned money to buy one of those lambs. And so year after year, you know, maybe the lambs are getting a bit smaller. Hello, you know, have you noticed things get smaller and the price goes up? Okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> And, and, you know, it's more expensive. And I'll guarantee you, they went and, you know, year after year, for 18 years, he's listening to his mom and dad talk about this on the way there and on the way back. You don't think they talked about it? Have you noticed how people talk about money issues? Can we get real here? You know, Mary and Joseph aren't walking around with this little hail over their head. You know, and they say, oh, look at the little circle over their head. They're always there. No, <laughs> We draw that in pictures, but that wasn't the case. Remember Mary was the one that was outside with the brothers saying, go and tell Jesus. And the, you know, one of the ushers rushing and go, oh, Jesus, your mother and your brother's out there. And he goes, who are my brothers and brothers? You know, she didn't have hail over her head. Okay, I'm just saying. Okay, so you know they were having these conversations. What I want to bring out to you is, there wasn't a sense of praise and worship. And this is their Christmas time and celebration. They're on their way wondering, all right, how much are we going to get ripped off this time? And how much are we going to have left over? And is it going to be enough to last the week or however long we're staying there? Because we need to get lodging and food and everything else. Are you all with me? What I want you to see is that that would have weighed on Jesus. You know, this is God in the flesh watching his mom and watching. And this mom was an extraordinary woman. The angel says to her, this is what's going to happen. And she says, be it unto me according to thy word. That's huge. Alright? And to have a, a physical manifestation and a baby and all that happened on just that one sentence. That's huge. Let's, you know, let's credit where credit is due. So to see that sort of a person, year after year, just getting ripped off, going up there, coming back. What do you think Jesus is thinking? Wait till I start my ministry. One of the first things I'm going to do. Remember, the water into wine wasn't meant to be. Remember when Mary came and asked him to do it, he said, this is not my time yet. This was his time. This was his first job. This water into wine business was like, are you kidding me? Okay, but he did it and we saw you know, his generosity and everything in that. But understand something, his mission number one was let's go take care of the place of worship. It has been turned into a den of thieves. And I'm not going to have people like this just 
have their worship and their adoration for God ruined because of the greed and the extortion that is going on in the temple. So that's his job number one. You can see now why he was a little bit annoyed that this, you know, the wine thing had to happen first. Because I think he wanted to start his ministry with this. It was to be a sign of God has come and he's not happy with the people that were meant to be ministering his word, carrying out his commands, and bringing the whole world to God. I hope you don't mind me sharing some of these things because I need you to see this because I don't want this happening here. As our church gets bigger and things start to come in, please be very careful about what you say to people as they enter. Don't assume anything. Let grace be your guide. Okay? I don't care what they say. and They might have all sorts of crazy things coming out of their mouth. Hey, relax. It's okay. They're coming to worship God. That's what matters. We can sort things out later on. Let them express their joy. And you celebrate with them. And if they had a little miracle occur, and you going, oh, really, that's all? Don't ever think that and say that. Okay? You should be going, praise God, you had a miracle happen. Hallelujah. As opposed to people that are not having any at all. Amen? That should be our attitude. In Luke chapter 2, verse 41, these are the verses that related to the fact that Jesus would be going up to the temple every year since age 12. It says in Luke 2.41, every year he is at Jesus' parents, okay, went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. Notice it didn't say with him. All right, and then when he was 12 years old, verse 42 says, meaning that Jesus was now old enough to go to the temple, all right, by, by his age is mentioned. They, including Jesus, then it says, went up to the feast according to the custom. Alright? So therefore, having attended this feast for almost 18 years with Mary and Joseph, and very possibly having themselves fallen victim to all the evil and dishonest goings-on within the temple, it is no surprise that it goes in the same, John chapter 2, verse 15. When he had made a whip of cords, remember this is Christmas. Are you getting the picture now? And Jesus sits down and starts making a whip. I can see the disciples going, What's he doing? Is he plaiting hair or is that something else? Is that what we think it is? Because, you know, you do a whip about the same way. Okay? <laughs> Alright? And I've said here, I can just imagine the disciples' horror. And soon to follow embarrassment, seeing Jesus starting to make a whip of cords. They must have had relatives at the temple that day. Remember, this is that time of the year. Okay? Since this was the event of the year. And probably even had said hello to some of them on the way in. We get in the picture now. He's like, oh, hey, Aunt Mary. Hey, 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 nice to see you. Who is that with you? This is a great prophet. <laughs> and now, with all the festivities going on, Jesus makes a whip of cords. And he drove them all, that is, the cattle, the sheep, and all the wicked traffickers, out of the temple. <laughs> huh? With the sheep and the oxen. I can just see the disciples going, time to separate. <laughs> Let's just, let's just get out of the picture right now. I don't think I want to be associated with him. Was that... No, 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 no. We're not with him. He was somebody else. <laughs> I don't know what I would have said. Okay? I would have been hiding somewhere. Alright. Remember, this is a very holy place. Okay? And it's the high priest. All the religious ceremonies going on. Everybody hushing. Have you been to like a, one of those high Anglican churches? You know, Catholic... You know what I'm trying to say? Everything is quiet. You know, they come out with the little smelly thing with the... 
You know, I, I, used to, I used to be an altar boy. I carried one of those things. I had to cough when I used to go into that. <coughs> you know, it's like, seriously, what is going on in here? But, you know, you wear the dress and you, you swing the thing and you feel all very holy and everything. And, uh, yeah, it was my time there. Anyway, it says, uh, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And then, filled with holy zeal, Jesus turned his attention to the money changers who would have been watching in horror and disbelief of what was going on. You can just see them. I mean, nobody has ever done this, has ever dared to do this in the temple of all places. You know what I'm saying? Okay. <laughs> so they've been watching in horror and disbelief at what was going on. And at the same time, convicted by God in their hearts, they would have known they were doing the wrong thing. And so it goes on to say that he then poured out and scattered the changers' money and overturned the tables. So the disciples, can we look at the disciples for just a second? So the disciples have gone to the, from the place where this man can turn water into wine. To, oh my God, what is this man doing? You know, we have relatives here. As D.A. Carson points out, One does not easily drive out cattle and sheep without a whip of cords, meaning that the whip was necessary to drive the animals out without, of course, injuring them. So Jesus didn't hurt any of the animals, but he needed something that they would respond to and would move. Amen. Okay. R. Kent Hughes says that Jesus was as godlike here as he was when he hung on the cross. He was revealing as much as God on this occasion as he did at Calvary. He was displaying a great underlying truth love purposes hatred. A love for the downtrodden, the poor, and the oppressed also brings about a hatred for the condition that caused their suffering. We're going to stop there and take a break. We will come back, needless to say, and continue from there.